Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up this little mini-series that we've been doing on Wednesdays for the last two Wednesdays, tonight being the third. And um, Philippians chapter 3, 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. <laughs> Look at your neighbor, you know, move from six feet away. Look at, <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus got a hold of you. And Lord, let your word get a hold of us tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Air five, two people before you're seated. Thank you. Oh, they're gone. Thank you, praise team, Van. I feel the presence of the Lord in, there, in here tonight. I, I love the word, period, but I, I'm, 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 I especially, I'm just, I've been swallowed up for the last several weeks in, in, in two, two books, Philippians and Colossians. And let me just kind of lay a little groundwork tonight, if I may. Is that okay? Remind your neighbor, we talk to the preacher on Wednesdays. <laughs> because, you know, anytime, it's just a good general rule when it comes to reading and understanding scripture. There's, there's a couple of very important questions you should always ask. Number one, who wrote it? Uh, of, of course we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. But... Whose pen is the Holy Spirit using? Who wrote it and what's going on in their life when they're writing it? Yes? Second great question is, who's he writing to? What is the culture of that particular place he's writing to? What's going on in that city, in that church that he's writing to? I think that brings deeper levels of understanding of what is intended in what he writes. And on one hand, we talked for the last two Wednesday nights from the book of Colossians, how that Paul was straightening out. Y'all okay for me just to lay this out for a few minutes? He is, he, he's straightening out a, um, a, a problem. There has been a, um, an influx of false teachers and false prophets that I'm beginning to understand what took them to that place. Why they have, after having been to a certain place in their understanding of who Jesus is, after having walked in a certain particular level of revelation, I'm, I'm understanding, it's not justified, but I'm understanding why it is that they have come to this place where they're not outright rejecting Jesus, but they're starting to, you know, to, to, sow these seeds of doubt in, 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 in Laodicea, in Colossae, in Philippians. And, and the seed of doubt simply has to do with who Jesus is. There's no denying Jesus. There's no outright rejecting of Jesus. But just who is he? Some of the false teachers were coming in and saying, of course he's a mediator between God and man. He's just not the only mediator between God and man. 
not rejecting him, just reducing his role and his relevance. Which when that happens, you are as good as, as doomed that we're, to where everybody else is doomed. Because that's the question that for the duration of our lives on this earth, not only, not only is that a truth that is made alive to you, when you are transferred out of darkness into his marvelous light, when you are rendered by Jesus a new creation. But it's a question that you will have to keep asking yourself and keep evaluating this question for all of your Christian life. To not do so means the inevitable is that he will slip from his perch of first and foremost in your life. The question is the one Jesus asked the disciples. He said, who are people saying that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah the prophet. Some say this. And he said, but listen, I'm asking you, who do you say that I am? Peter jumps out and spews out revelation. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Don't you love it when a burst of light hits your soul and a, 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 a statement of absolute revelation that you stuns even you come out of your mouth. Peter was famous for those. Remember on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and everybody in the, in the upper rooms have been speaking in tongues and people are going by and mocking and laughing. He stands up and he says, this promise, this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he preaches the whole message and he says this, this experience, this promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Look at your neighbor and say, that's anointing. It was. He was under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he said something that God had to come back to him later and convince him it was right. It's beautiful because of the fact that there seems to be this perfect storm. This moment of congruency between what is happening in Paul's life right now. And then what the most pressing need of the churches he's writing these epistles to is. Paul has had some adventure in his life. I mean shipwrecked, being lowered over the walls of a city by ropes at night, like mission impossible kind of missionary journeys. I mean, he's, he's, he's had snakes jump out of fire pits and latch onto his arm and he just shook them off. He's had people, he's walked through the streets of the city and when his shadow touched people, they were healed and got up out of wheelchairs and got up out of sick beds. I mean, he's had a marvelous time, but all of that is stripped away because in both of the epistles he writes to Philippians and Colossae he is writing from quarantine what virus was there what was the disease circulating none he was imprisoned for something he didn't do and all of the adventure all of the other stuff all of the activity gets stripped away and Paul has to bring himself back to the, 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 the majestic awe and the mystery and the revelation of who Jesus is. And it's fresh on his mind. And you read Philippians and you read through Colossians. It's all he can talk about. 
That God, the fullness of God is in the body of Jesus Christ. He's the express image, the very God of very gods. He's the express image of the invisible God. And on and on and on he goes. And then he writes this, the Philippians, not that I've already obtained all of this or, or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which has taken a hold of me. So here's the question. He, we start off verse 12. Now that I've, not that I've already obtained all of this, what is all of this? Well, we got to back up a few verses and listen to what he premises that statement with. Beginning at verse 7, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage. That I might gain Christ and be found, look at your neighbor and say, in him. Not around him, not about him, but in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death so that somehow I might obtain to the resurrection from the dead. You know what he's writing about, yes? Look at your neighbor and say, immersion. That's the theme, that's what he's writing about. And that's the problem because what has happened is is some of these Jewish believers, it's the idea of immersion that they are struggling with. Now listen to the words within my words tonight, okay? Because there are comparisons to what you and I have to constantly struggle or battle against and overcome. They, the the Jewish believers that are infiltrating into some of these towns and churches that are predominantly made up of of spirit-filled and Jesus following Gentiles, there's a weird, strange conversation. There's strange vocabulary even that is strange even to the devout religious Jew. They're fine with keeping God in the context of rituals and observances and feasts and ordinances. But now you start talking here. Let me give you an example. It's very similar to, you know, a big macho he-man who's, who knows nothing about church. And he just got off his Harley in the parking lot and pulled his bandana off, sprayed a little deodorant on, right? Walks into the church. And I mean, he's a big burly, you know, alpha male type a you know man's man he man and he sits in the pew at church and he starts hearing phrases that almost sounds erotic jesus lover of my soul jesus i'll never let you go and he's like I need to go find a 12 pack and a, and a cigar somewhere, man. Go just feel like a man because he doesn't understand. And, and he's not hearing those nor singing those words in the context of somebody who has lost themselves in Christ. 
And that's what the Jewish believers are struggling with. What in the world? You're not circumcising. You're not keeping the feast. You're not observing all these ordinances. You guys are just coming to church all free. And, you know, and I, I know the spirit of God is on you. I hear you speaking in tongues like the spirit of God fell on you like it did on us in the beginning. And, and they're having a struggle. And so, and so the, 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 the inability to receive Jesus for what he is, he's not part of your life. He is all of your life. He's not a part of the wheel. He's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. He's not somewhere attached, somewhere involved. He has become your life. In fact, you have lost your life in him. And that's strange because they've been able for centuries and centuries to follow after God and worship God by the observances of feasts and ordinances and, and rituals and so forth. That's the context they're most familiar with. And while we don't observe feasts and, and certain, you know, ordinate observations and what have you, that's still the same, the same kind of context that we have to step back and assess from time to time. What has Jesus become in my life? Is he about a program? Is he about a Sunday service? Is he about a Friday service? A Wednesday service? Is he about the fellowship? All of these things that are a part of it. He gets, to, he gets to being reduced to being one of the good things about church culture. He's not just a good thing about church culture, ladies and gentlemen. He's the only thing about church culture that's worth its salt. Let's keep going. We've got to keep Jesus a part of our church culture. They, they, they said keep Jesus part of our church culture, but, but some shy away from the idea of total immersion. I was reading this. Daniel Day-Lewis, how many of y'all saw the movie Abraham Lincoln a few years back? Daniel Day-Lewis was, was um, giving an interview to 60 Minutes. And Daniel Lewis played the character of Abraham Lincoln. And he says this to 60 Minutes. He described immersing himself in information about Lincoln. He said, I read everything I could find. I talked to the foremost experts on the man for a year before they even started filming. He said, for a year, I dressed like Lincoln. He said, I walked like Lincoln. I even raised the pitch of my own speaking voice to sound more like Abraham Lincoln. Not just on the set, but all day, every day. To the extent that was possible, Daniel Day-Lewis became Abraham Lincoln. At the end of the interview, he was asked, what was it like for him now that the filming was completed? And he replied, I have never loved a man like I love that man. And then he paused, and with a tear in his voice, he added, and I miss him. The character I immersed myself in took a hold of me. That's what we're talking about. We used to sing this song growing up in church. Some of y'all have been around for a while, years ago. We might remember that. Something got a hold of me. Remember that? Anybody been saved longer than three weeks? Come on, raise your hand. Something got a hold of me, right? I went there that night, but oh my. I went there to fight, but oh my, that night. Something got a hold of me. But see, that's not the issue. The issue, Paul expresses the issue when he talks about his own desire. He talks about Jesus and what Jesus has done. And he said, I want to know him in the 
power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. And I don't want my own righteousness that comes from the law. I want to be, I want to be wrapped up in the righteousness that is found in him. And he says this, I'm going to spend my life trying to get a hold of the one who has a hold of me. That's the challenge for the modern Christian. Listen, there's no question. Jesus got a hold of you. He, he brought you through a drug addiction. He brought you out of depression. He brought you through, uh, you know, terrible times in your life. That's not the question. Of course, Jesus has got a hold of you. The question is, have you in turn got a hold of him? Because if there's one person holding, then that means one is captive. But when two are holding an embrace, that is intimacy and closeness. Come on, don't shout me down. I know this is good. When one is holding, the other is struggling. Let me go. Let me go. Get off of me. Like Jonah. Oh, God had a hold of him. Jonah, I'm not letting you go. What about my free will? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. You have free will. How many of you can chuckle over free will? Yes, I have free will. I can go out and make stupid choices, bad decisions, and be a knucklehead. He's not going to violate your will. I know, but he will make you want to change it on your own. Jonah, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to Nineveh. The people are rebellious and the people are wicked and they're not going to hear my words. How many of y'all know that when he was in the belly of a fish for three days, swimming around in the ocean, he figured the best course of action for him was to turn around and grab a hold of the one who had a hold of him. Yes? If there's only one holding, then one is struggling. Paul even, Paul even talked about this reality in his own life. He said, when I would do that which I should do, then that which I shouldn't do is never far away from me. But so when I give in and do that which I shouldn't do, then, 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 then the, what I should do is never far away. What he's saying is something has got a hold of me. And his life consisted in the early years of trying to shake it and trying to, you know, I don't want, to, I don't want him to go away completely. But I want, I want him to stay near. But I want to have my own dreams and ambitions. And I want to navigate my own course, make my own decisions. And I want to do some of my own thing. Don't leave me. until he gets to that place where there's nothing left and he's in prison and suddenly he realizes that the only thing he's ever had in his life that was worth having was the magnitude or the majestic mystery of the revelation of Jesus Christ somebody say amen See, because here, here's what it is. We, 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 we tend to think, we, we read scripture and we read things like, you know, um, you know it, 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 in my name you shall cast out devils and we get in my name and so forth. And so we get this idea that the name of Jesus is like a magic wand. You know, we're flying 80 miles an hour down the beltway. Just, you know, oh, in the name of Jesus, blind that constable. 
We got some in the lobby. Shut the, don't, don't listen. I'm just kidding. I mean, we, 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 you know, um, oh man, I, you know, I, I really, I, I want to, in the name of G and we just throw that around like it's a formula that as long as we attach the formula to our request or our prayer or our declaration, then somehow God is obligated to back it up because we pulled out the, the in Jesus name one, but that's not what in Jesus name means. The scripture says that the name of a law of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it, not around it, not by it, but into it and are safe. It's not having this word, this magic name, all, as all powerful as it is. That's not, that's not the magic that happens in your life. It's not just having the name of Jesus. It's being immersed in the person and the presence of Jesus. It's critical. You and I, our spiritual life and existence depends on getting this. You know why? Because listen, if you under, especially if you understand, can uh, you understand something about covenant? God did not make a covenant with everybody. Through time and history, from the beginning of time, God made covenants with certain people, and then He would build into that covenant a provision of inclusion. That by virtue of that person's seed or somebody connecting to that person would automatically pull them into being a recipient of the benefits of that covenant. God doesn't have a covenant with every Jewish person on the face of the earth. He made a covenant with a man by the name of Abraham. And all who are Abraham's seed then are included in that covenant. In the same way. God didn't make a covenant with every single one of us individually. The covenant is with Jesus. He is the mediator of the new covenant. So the covenant that God has with mankind in this era is a covenant with his own son, Jesus. And the way you reap the benefits of the covenant, the way you enjoy the covenant is you must be immersed in the one who the covenant is made with. In other words, you didn't stand, you can't stand outside of Jesus and try to remind God of his covenant obligations to you. His obligation is to his son Jesus and all who are in Christ. Sweater was a bad idea tonight. One of you ushers helped me with a handful of paper towels or something. I'm about to swim off the platform. And so, incidentally, let me just give you another idea what that means. Because, oh, it's going to be a whole, let me just tell you. It's the reason why you should pray for and honor your, your, your spouse, your, your, your husband, and your fathers. It's the reason why it doesn't, the idea, oh, thank you. The idea, oh, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but here we go. Everybody buckle your seatbelt. The head of the woman is the man. The head of the man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. The man being the head or headship, it just means first. That's all. Man was created first. And then woman was created from the man. 
the reason why it's important to honor the man and to pray for him and to cover him is because he becomes now the stopgap for his entire family. You say, man, that's a heavy responsibility. Yes, it is. That means I'm the one that has to stand at the entrance to my house and say, no, you don't come in. You don't come in. You don't come in. But it's far more positive than it is, you know, heavy responsibility because it also means that the husband or the one or being first, it also means that he is the point of entry of everything good and blessed and abundance and favor that comes into his house as well. Everybody out there tonight don't have a man in their life right now. Just got really mad at me. All right, let's, let's keep going. Come on, look at somebody and say, if you want to, you want to be in the covenant, get in Christ. So three things, three things I'm going to be finished. So how do you do that? It means that every single day of your life. So that God doesn't have to put you in a position where everything is dramatically and violently taken from you. It means that every day of your life, you And I need to take our ambitions, our dreams, our plans, and surrender them to Jesus and make sure they are a match. Thank you, Desmond. Make sure they are a match. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but you guys, we've talked and preached this before. Y'all preach it back to me even better. We, we, don't, we don't put plans together, even if they're good plans, and then we go and we fast and we pray and we sacrifice and we go hard after God and we beg and we plead with God to get involved in what it is that we're doing. That's how you get to a place where Jesus is a part of your life, but he is not your life. I'm doing this thing over here and it's somewhat honorable. It's not a terrible thing. It's not an evil thing, but it was my plans. And, and you know, because he's promised he's going to stick with me to the end. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's never going to leave me or forsake me. So I got Jesus real close to me while I'm doing this thing. But that's not the optimal way that God designed for you to be able to live this thing. The provision of inclusion is that you take your dreams and your plans and your ambitions and your goals and you throw them at the feet of Jesus daily and saying, am I doing what you have said to do? Am I, am I doing what you have called me to do and what you have assigned me to do? Yes. I'm hearing some amens from the amen corner. How about the rest of y'all? Every day. It means that we study as in As Daniel Day-Lewis said about learning the character, immersing himself in the character of Abraham Lincoln. If a Hollywood actor can do that about a historical figure and end up, we don't know what Abraham, you know, Lincoln was exactly like because you and I weren't alive back then. But everything that we've read and know, when we watched that movie, I thought I was watching Abraham Lincoln. 
Everything I've been told about Abraham Lincoln, everything I've ever read, all the pictures that we've seen, all the artist renderings, all the, uh, the photography, everything that we've ever seen, that's exactly what I imagine him looking like. If you want to be immersed in him, you've got to study the character of Jesus every day. You have to strive to talk like he talks. You have to walk like he walks. You have to respond to situations and everything in life in the same way that Jesus responds. That old saying, you know, what would Jesus do? That wasn't just a great marketing slogan. That's supposed to be the dipstick for you and and my life. What would Jesus do? How would he react to this? How would he handle this situation? Here's the last one, and this is a big one. Focus on cause and not effect. In other words, if your incessant obsession is a focus on Jesus as the cause, rather than what many Christians do is focused on the effect. I'm blessed in the city, I'm blessed in the field, I'm blessed when I get up in the morning. You're, you're focusing on a benefit or the effect. And it's easy to forget if that becomes the focus that the only reason why you are blessed in the field, why you are the head, not the tail, is because of Jesus. He let you into something that you and I, who are not a people, have now become the people of God. We had no shot at that. We had no chance of being reconciled back unto God if it weren't for Jesus. And he, being the cause, is the, it, it, he, he produces all the effect. And if you focus on the cause rather than the benefit or the effect, then, then the benefits grow and increase exponentially in your life. Come on, high five somebody and say, he, taught, he preached a lot better tonight than I responded. But... There's, there's always next Wednesday. <laughs> and forget not his benefits. I'm not going to forget his benefits, but neither will I focus on the benefits. Because a focus on the benefits, you and I don't have the ability to have, you know... <laughs> We don't, we don't have unlimited and unrestricted focus ability. We have limitations, yes? It's just like our energy and our, our time, attention. You can't focus on everything. That's why you've got to pick out pick and establish the values in your life. You've got to be careful. How many of you all understand? You can't give all of yourself to every person that wants it. You have limitations, and so you have to steward your time. That's why Paul said, knowing that the days are evil, we are to redeem the time or steward the time. I can't just be all things to all people all the time everywhere. I have an assignment, and I've got to steward my resources. I've got to steward my energy, my, my attention, and my focus on the things that's, that are within my assignment. If it's outside of my assignment, even though it's a need, even though it might be, it might be wonderful, it will be that for somebody else else, but I must stay in my assignment. That's the way Jesus did it. That's precisely why when he was in a phase of his ministry where he was to first go to the house of Israel and call the lost sheep of Israel back into the fold and somebody came to him and said, Lord, my daughter's uh, sick at home. Can you give me a miracle? And Jesus turns and says, 
I'm not sent to you right now. You're a little early. Right now, my focus is the lost house of Israel. Yeah, come on, y'all. I'm in the Bible tonight. I mean, I I try to be every Wednesday night, but I'm really in there tonight. (laughs) A focus on the benefits or the effects of the cause. Inadvertently, but nonetheless, inevitably, leads to a place or a condition where Jesus, not rejected, not removed, Jesus remains a part of your life. But how many of y'all know, you've lived this thing long enough to know that Jesus doesn't work very well as a part of the situation. That he shed his blood and bought to own that situation. Think of the level of doubt and suspect. If, if, if the average Christian today, Ben, come, come help me. Get ready to close. I get two minutes. I'm going to finish this. Think about the root of why so many Christians today struggle with just believing the word of God at face value. Come on, y'all. This means your turn. Just give me a good Baptist loud nod at least. Right? Look, we sing, we, we, we sing so it's, it's like Mary and Martha, right? They came, Jesus came, and you know the story. He delayed, he was on a, uh, an assignment, and he delayed coming to touch Lazarus because they said he's sick, and Jesus already knew he's not just sick. In fact, I'm going to wait for a while until he's dead because sick or dead is not a difference to me. I, I'm going to make him fine either way you look at it. So I got time. We'll wait. He finally shows up, and one of the sisters of Lazarus comes running to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Okay. Like, you really believe that? <laughs> it's easy... To have faith of and in things and about things that happened. The stuff we read about, the stuff we hear stories about, the great miraculous interventions of God in other people's lives that we hear preached about. It's easy. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, no problem. I am the resurrection and the life. Your brother's getting ready to rise again. And she jumps from the past to the future. Oh, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. <laughs> think about think about the origin of doubt and suspicion and sometimes outright disbelief of fundamental fundamental values and 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 provisions into our life because we've tried to work them with Jesus out of place
these signs will follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They shall lay hands on the sick. The sick shall recover. So on and so on. I'm not saying that if you've ever prayed for somebody that didn't get healed, it's because Jesus is not in the center of your life. I'm not saying that. But think about the percentages. Think about how many situations that we have stepped into, stepped in front of, and invoked the name of Jesus on it, and it didn't quite work out like the scripture tells us to lean. It tells us to believe this is what can happen, and it doesn't. And, and you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We try certain things often enough that don't turn out the way we're preached to and the way the scripture tells us they should turn out. At some point, we just start going, well, you know, I kind of believe that. I know maybe that's going to be the reality. I know that was the reality. But in the now moment that I'm living in, I'm not seeing that. And one of, I'm not saying the only, but one of the root causes of that is that we are trying to navigate through a world manifesting and expressing the kingdom of God when the king of all kings is standing where a prince should stand and not the king. (laughs) No wonder Paul in that same book, Colossians. Now listen to what he's saying and see if it doesn't sound a little different to you. And I close with this. He said, finally, brethren, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. Not by the name of Jesus, not with the name of Jesus, but immersed in the presence and the person of Jesus so that it's not you trying to use a magic wand or you trying to speak in the most powerful word or name that there is in heaven or earth or under the earth. It's as though Jesus is the one standing there himself. And as far as I can read, there has never been a devil that he said leave that didn't leave. There has never been a sickness or a disease that Jesus did not attempt to cast out and it resisted and he went, oh well, at least I'm batting 90%. That's what Paul said. Something's got a hold of me. Jesus took a hold of me. There was a bright light that shone from heaven, knocked me off my horse and blinded me for days. And he's never let me go. And I have not obtained this yet. But he said, I press for what? I press to get a hold of the one, to be immersed in the one who has a hold of me. That, ladies and gentlemen, is intimacy. That's closeness. That's likeness. That's not struggling. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands for just a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, make this word real to us now. Cause the Holy Spirit to sear, sear like with a hot iron, the power this reality sear it into our hearts sear it into our minds our souls 